the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 80, and our guest is Todd Snyder. When we first dreamed up this show, Todd was on the short list of dream guests, and now that dream is real. Todd is nothing short of a legend, y'all. His new record, First Agnostic Church of Hope and Wonder, comes out on April 23rd. It is unlike anything I've ever heard, and it is my favorite record Todd has made. Everyone, this was such a thrill. I give you my conversation with Todd Snyder. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this for us. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I have been for a long time. When I, when I started this show, I had like a, you know, a short list of like dream guests someday, and you were on that list. So I'm really excited for this moment. Right on. Well, thank you. And I, Where do you um, live? I live in Orlando. All right. Yeah. 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 I've been here five years now i guess i i've lived in florida most of my life um lived in jacksonville and then i fell in love with somebody who was in orlando so i uh, right she, she didn't like jacksonville so here we are <laughs> uh, but i love it here it's cool man i today was like this perfect day and i i had a day off that i didn't from my day job i didn't realize i had so i uh walked to the park and took a book and just like laid on the berm and oh, right on yeah that's a nice day it's been a day, man. It's been like, I, I, this is a good kind of cap to it. Um, there's so much I want to talk to you about. And uh, yeah. 
I've just been wearing out. I've, I've had this advanced listen to first agnostic church of hope and wonder. And right. dude, it is, I mean, I, like I said, I've been listening to your music for a long time. And uh, I, I think this is, I don't just think this is my favorite thing that you've done. Oh, right on. Um, that makes me really happy. That's awesome. And it just, you know, it's cause I think, I love it all, man. I, I like, I love your whole catalog, but when I listen to this record, it's just like, um, you know, just, I mean, obviously sonically it's so, it's so different from what I'm, I'm used to hearing from you. And I, I, uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Will Kimbrough, um, a couple months ago and I asked him about working with you. And he said, uh, he said, one of the things that's great about Todd is that like when we went into the studio, he knew exactly what the sound he wanted was. And, and I knew all those records that he was referencing and, and, you know, we just work real well together for those reasons. And I wonder with this one, if, if you can, if, if, if that's how you always operate and if, if you operated that way with this one, did you have a clear sense of what you want, like what you wanted this to sound like, especially since it does sound different from what I'm used to hearing from you? Yeah, I had the idea for the, the sound for a few years. Right after Agnostic Hymns, I started um, wondering where I could go with what I was doing. And um, I joined a jam band. I also made a garage rock record that had a lot of background vocals on it. And then the jam band thing was more melodic. And I kept I wanted to try to bring those things back to um, what I was doing. And then I also found out and learned through uh, making that music. There's a, there's a drum call. There's, you know, I don't know how to talk to drummers, mm. and I, and I knew that there was something I was wanting that I was having a hard time explaining. And I did some research on it and found it's a, a style that's called fat back drums, or it's like James Brown. I would, I wish I'd have just known to say that, like James Brown, but it don't sound very folky, right? So, <laughs> but then I got this drummer. Uh, who was in deer tick and he knew how to do that style and so I knew that I wanted to have what I called funk in the back and folk up front or busking up front in my mind I hadn't heard that before I think somebody pointed out to me that um some singer that's done that a little but for me I was trying to make something unique I guess well I also produced it because I, I felt like I was I produced it because it, it felt like um it was such a leap that, it, that I didn't want anyone else to get blamed for. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't. Nobody's gonna blame you. That's for sure. It's God. It's, it's great. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I just haven't stopped listening to it. Like since I since I started oh, yeah, listening to it. Yeah, it's just been. It's it's one of those kind of records, man. I think it's gonna be one that's gonna going to be in my life for a long time, and and that I'll be listening to over and over again. I mean, there's just so many fun, fun moments too. Like you mentioned um jam music and i want to kind of circle back uh to 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 the idea for the sound of this record but i i wonder like if there was kind of like wh where because like you said you hadn't heard anybody do it that way right so right. It, is is that something that just sort of came to you were you listening to something in particular that then made you think of what you wanted um do you remember how that came about, you know, sort of the genesis yeah. of that sound? I do. Thank you for asking that. It was, you know, it was the first time I thought that I was going to set out to try to be really unique. And so instead of, um, so I remember instead of having records to use as references to the guys, I asked myself, 
what's the kick sound I like? All right, let's get it. Now, what's the snare sound I like? And let's get it, it just takes time. And, uh, and I didn't ask myself, I didn't care if they were congruous, you know what I mean? I like, I want the kick to sound like Parliament and I want the snare to sound like Waylon Jennings and I want the toms to sound. And so it was a, more of a, not being afraid to really make what if it was if it was food it probably would have been like why did you mix all this shit together mm -hmm. but they might might like i told our drummer i said i want to try to make rhythm tracks that are gonna out that are gonna beg for things like horns and b3 and except we're not gonna get horns and b3 we're gonna get like a banjo and i don't know i guess i, I was calling it um yeah, and I was really proud of it. It's got this little Salvation Army feel. And I've, ever since Agnostic Hymns, that's where I feel like this is the follow-up to that. And it's uh, not as electric. Well, it's, it, it makes me feel like it's, you know, the, those two records. That's About so the last five years I've been studying, you know, like studying music under other people. What, what, can you say more about that, the studying part? Yeah, the, the Hard Working Americans was a massive education in how to play music. Awesome. Um, right before I joined them, um, uh, Amanda Shires, who's a violinist, was explaining kind of uh, uh, co uh, composition to, to me, uh, playing the melody on the guitar. And then also, in, I did this garage band, and we really did a lot of call and response type stuff. And that made its way over to this, too. You know, so there's a lot of I thing and then you thing. But so, and then in that moment, I was like, Bobby Keys was in that band. A lot of um, a lot of I got to be around a lot of garage rockers, and then in the hip and hardwood Americans, I got to meet all the dead and all the. I got to play with Bob Weir and uh, Wow, Chris Robinson. I got to meet who's somebody I look up to a lot. And I felt like I just took a little from everybody and tried to bring it back to my day job, which is, in my mind, just trying to be the next Graham and Jack Elliott. That's always been my focus. That's a noble goal. <laughs> uh, the oh man, so much. You mentioned the food reference. It kind of like it uh, used the, the analogy of like food, and that's so interesting to me. I, I when I try to as a sort of you know journalist in this world, when I'm trying to explain quasi journalist, I shouldn't fully call myself a journalist. I guess get to talk to people, but I do write about music, and when I write about music i it's one of the hardest things to do right is to describe especially something like this that's just like i've never heard anything like this either and and it just oh, grabbed cool. me immediately you know and blew me away and i'm like how how do you describe it i often use food as like uh because everyone can connect to food right like we all yeah. can connect in a way and it is such a communal thing the same way that music is and so i like to think about it in that way that makes a lot of sense to me Oh yeah, right on. And Dave too, I should mention schools because I, I, but he pointed out to me that my guitar playing was very much like bass playing, and I, I had I didn't realize that till he pointed that out. And then I played all the bass on this too. Dave seems like a really interesting, insightful guy. Um, yeah, he produced Kenny Roby's record, and I that last record that I absolutely love, the Reservoir. Um, yeah. Those guys, you know, they're and, and to kind of talking more about that that jam thing. I, I wanted to ask you about um, influences and in, and in heroes and all that kind of stuff, especially because you had like the musical education of like a dream musical education when you were kind of coming up in the 
in the scene, singer songwriter kind of scene. And like the, I mean, to be able to work with, you know, Jimmy Buffett and John Prine and Jerry Jeff Walker, like yeah. it's just amazing, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so <laughs> sorry for those guys, you know, the, the loss that you've, that you've suffered with those guys passing um, Jerry Jeff and, and John. And um, I wonder though, like that incredible education with these heroes, right. These incredible people that you've, I've heard you speak so glowingly about as well. Do you think about maybe like, you know, you are kind of that way for a generation of songwriters too. And I wonder how aware you are. If, if you don't mind, I want to read this quote from, there's a songwriter named Graydon Hill. He's in a band called Scalise and he's a, uh, he's a fan of the show and he's a uh, Patreon patron. And he, he, I asked, you know, does anybody have questions for Todd? And, and of course everybody jumped on with a bunch of questions. And this one just struck me so beautifully. He said, uh, Todd's music has been such an integral part of my life. I was born in 99, so my parents were already playing his first three albums on loop by the time I was born. They even had a tradition to buy each new album on the day it was released. So for me, hearing his voice gives me an extreme sense of nostalgia. I've known his voice for as long as I've known that of my parents. Wow. <laughs> and I wonder, wow, yeah. isn't that great? But, and I wonder yeah. like if, if you're aware of kind of that influence that you have on a generation of songwriters and and, and maybe some lessons that you learn from Jerry Jeff and, and John that you can kind of pass along to a, to a young songwriter like Graydon. Right, yeah. I do, I'm a real fan of the generation behind mine. I think that, that it's a really, uh, uh, I think it's a top shift, almost 70s-ass group of people. Mm -hmm. um, and not, not a lot of, not too many people come to me for advice, but... Um, I do, there is an element of it that feels um, almost like the mob. I remember there used to be, uh, you know, Guy Clark, when he was alive, he would invite you down into his basement. And me, Jack Ingram, Hayes Carl, a lot of us had that talk from him about how we're supposed to look out for each other and take care of the ones younger than us. And so uh, it's, it's actually, you know, anything I can do for a young troubadour, I would do it if I could. And, so wonderful. I, those hangs blow my mind. Verlin Thompson is a friend of the show and uh, Verlin, yeah, it's just opened up so much about guys spent, uh, having spent so much time with him, but it just always, uh, it's always amazing to me that he all, that, that guy was like this father figure to so many folks and that he would also kind of like make sure he like encourage you to play whatever your new thing was like play, play your new thing. What, what's the new thing? What you got for me? What's a, what's a song um, that, that you got that you've writ written recently. And I just think that there's something so wonderful about that, what you just described that almost that like fraternal kind of feeling of, of songwriting and, and how there's just no competition. It seems like, you know, it's everybody's just no. trying to help each other out. Yeah. That's why I went into my, I was raised in sports. And uh, once I realized that the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner were friends, I thought, why would anybody do this other thing? Why keep score? <laughs> but uh, yeah, in, in the, and in the Troubadour game, uh, Ramblin' Jack is still alive and well, and he kind of invented it. And then there's, and then my understanding of it is it's very uh, fraternal and um, um, mafioso. Like, I remember uh, Jack Ingram telling me to, I needed to go down and look after Hayes Carl when he was just a kid. 
And I did, you know, I mean, he said, remember what guy told us, we, you know, this guy's his first Nashville show and uh, he was nervous and I went and hung out with him and now we're as close as you can be, you know, he's some, he's somebody that the kids look up to now. We're all getting so old. <laughs> <laughs> did you know how good he was from the beginning? Oh yeah. Yeah, very much. Jack had already told me and went down and caught the set and I was like, oh, no wonder. Yeah. The, you know, and at that time when a kid is talented like that and you come to Nashville, it's like throwing chum in the water. And I, I could tell he was being surrounded by everybody in a town where he didn't know anybody. So I hope I got to sort of at least be the person that was there with him that didn't want any money from him. That's, that's really interesting. So the, 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 can you think of other times where that, that's been the case where you're just like, you had a sense, well, let me ask this question differently, actually. When you were starting out, did you have a sense that you were any good at this? Or did, or did you have like uh, doubts at that time? Um, not, I mean, not really, because I didn't have big ambitions. And I was bust, busting tables at this restaurant that also had folk music in it. And so for me, I was just switching over to that other job. And, but as soon as I started playing there, it worked. I mean, like when I was 19, I just played. And the next time I played, more people came, knock on wood. I don't even know why, but so part of me had some, I mean, I don't know about songwriting or singing or playing guitar, but there's something about performing that um, is working. You know, and then I met uh, Kenneth Finley and Keith Sykes and then Keith introduced me to Jimmy and John and Guy, and then I'll, then the lessons get harder. You know, this uh, most of those great guys really only think of themselves as having two or three really great songs. Oh, you know, wow. like I heard Guy Clark tell uh, Chris Christopherson one time, we're in, just nobody in the room, but Shaver Prime, Christopherson, and Guy Clark, and me. We were inducting Chris into the Hall of Fame, and I remember. Guy Clark said to Chris Christopherson, you know, that Bobby McGee, that really is a good song. And um, <laughs> I knew what he meant. I was like, God damn, I'm going to want to, you know. But those guys, they, uh, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, they, they it's a tough room. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so interesting. Well, I mean, I think that, that kind of captures Guy to some extent from what I've heard, too. I never got the chance to meet him, unfortunately. But um, who's that? Guy Clark. I Oh yeah, he's a good cat. But he seemed like he was also he, he wasn't gonna bullshit you, you know, like he uh -huh. was he was gonna tell you how it was all the time. Um, uh -huh. But you don't strike me as someone who, uh, how do I say this? Like you strike me as someone who's more a little more interested in harmony in that way, or or or, or do I have you wrong? Are are you, you know, willing to to put somebody in their place <laughs> if? If it's not good, right? You know? <laughs> like I don't know. You know, one time Prime really checked me, and one time um, Guy Clark did too. And I don't know if I would do that to say like um, Aaron Lee Cashin or this girl named Becca Sierra Farrell. Um, if they asked me, maybe. But uh, yeah, I've led such a reckless life. Um, my way of doing it isn't a way that I would it would would suggest anybody else tried it because I didn't I toured I just like the way I toured through my 30s was uh, 
and into my 40s. I'm just lucky I made it, you know. I had a blast. It never got dark, but I don't know. I don't know. I sure love the kids that are coming behind me, but I don't know if I have an advice for them. Guy Clark, one time I was opening for somebody and I asked the crowd how they were. How y'all doing out there? And they all cheered. And then after the show, he said, you come over tomorrow. <laughs> and I, I got down in the basement and he said, we don't ask them how they are. And I went, okay. I was like the mob. I was like, okay. okay. How come? Because we don't care. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right on. And it was a tough lesson, but I think I got what he meant was we're not pandering. We're not here to pander. You sing your poem and if they like it, they like it. You know? <sighs> That's a great lesson. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would have thought about it like that, you know, like yeah. I, I play my songs for people sometimes and <laughs> I sure as hell ask how they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done it since. I used to do it all the time, but I was like, okay. This, when he said we, I said we, I'm in. Whatever that was, if you just included me in the group, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, for real, man. Oh, that's <laughs> so interesting. You you talked about living kind of reckless, and I, so one of the things that I'm always amazed with is, um, you know, like you know, you you're kind of a wild man, and I've seen you live. It's it's the most incredible performance that anyone could ever ask for it's comedy and it's music and it's storytelling and i, I only got to see once you played in saint augustine probably like eight years ago maybe is tiny little room and uh it was just amazing todd it was so much fun um but i, I do wonder how you because you consistently deliver these great records and you consistently deliver these legendary performances people talk about your performances they you know, that, that's one of the things you're known for. And these records are just excellent and keep getting better. And so like, how, how did you balance that? Like, how are you able to, to, you know, to, to live in, like you said, a reckless way, but also continue to consistently do great work? Thank you. You're welcome. I, I guess for me, it always kind of works, has worked together. I don't do it as much, but there was a time when it was like, if somebody asked me to get into a car, I went. If there was a thing, I did it. If uh, I just was looking for adventure or work, you know, I guess. Uh, always trying to find the guy with the nickname that had the thing going on the other side of town and just always going. And for a few years, it made it so I wouldn't always be at the show or be at the show on time. Um, but I, I felt like I'm supposed to be living a life of high adventure and uh, reporting back. That feels like what Jerry Jeff did. And um, so in my mind, that was like a, my mindset was to never turn down an invitation to do anything. You mentioned Jerry Jeff and uh, on, uh, I believe it was on Joe Pug's show that I heard you talking about how, yeah. I don't want to misquote you, but his advice was basically something to the effect of like, just to do that thing, right? Just to go for it and to, to yeah. live and to really, it just, again, it's just so hard for me to get my head around. Like if I have three beers, I can't function the next day, you know, like, <laughs> um, and if I travel, I need like a day to sleep. And maybe that's just because my lifestyle, you know, I've, I've mostly right. had a traditional, so to speak job. And so I guess you can get used to it, but it's just, it, it's just amazing to me that, you know, you can continue to do the, do the work and continue to maintain relationships too. You know, everybody speaks so highly of you. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. I think that's the other thing, like all my favorite songwriters 
say you mentioned Amanda. Amanda always gushes about you when you know when she's asked in an interview, and and Isbel and all these folks that I look up to as songwriters, um, even though they're around my age, um, but they all say such nice things, and it should really uh, I don't know. I was just wondering if you had any sense of like how you balance all of that and how you're able to live like that and still together. (laughs) Well, I don't live as much. I used, I used to live a lot more like a sock in a dryer than I do now. Now when I'm on the road though, I just say we're on the road. Um, It's uh, like Hunter Thompson. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I think there's a lot I have forgotten and (laughs) things like that, but um, I was never like um, a mean drunk or, or never, I don't, I don't get high and get upset, you know? And so I was usually looking for some good times. And all that, every time I get to be around my, my fellow buskers or troubadours, I always, I just cherish those relationships. Amanda and Jason are a really special couple of artists, you know? Yeah. Fun to know them. That, that's a good way of looking at it too, just sort of, um... And I know this wouldn't work for everybody, right? Some people just, they can't, whatever substance it is, it just doesn't work with them, you know, or their body chemistry or their, their mental makeup or whatever. But to approach it from a perspective of like, uh, of, of making sure that whatever that thing is, that, that it is for a good time and, and maintain that mindset. Again, I don't think it'll work for everybody, but I think that right. there might be a lesson in that, you know? Right. You know, cocaine was one thing I never cared for. Really? And that's usually it turns people into a, a problem. I've never, that's not my drug, you know, but yeah, but uh, yeah, I, but I like, I like, um, I like roaring on the road. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. How do you, yeah, that's great. I mean, good. If it works for you, it works for you, you know, that's, uh, that's great. Um, well, what about like uh, so? There's a few folks uh, mentioned. Obviously, there's a there's a song about about John Prine, on the on the new record. Um, in the first couple of lines, you name drop our friend uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, who was on the show. I got yeah. the pleasure of meeting Colonel Bruce and interviewing him for about an hour, and it was the wildest experience. That dude was on a different plane, man, and it was just so. Him, yeah, I was. Uh, that's what I wanted to ask you about, just because I think he's so wonderful. What your relationship was like with Colonel Bruce? That was my favorite. I mean, being in the hardworking Americans was a lot of fun. But the coolest part of it was meeting him and understanding uh, who he was and the myth and the the legend of him is. It was is a profound guy, and I got to. I would say I kind of got to mentor, be mentored by him. As I was being the lead singer, he was sort of showing me how to really essentially go even crazier is, is what it is. And, uh, and I felt like, um, you know, there's so many traditions he started in jam culture and the Trucks brothers look up to him so much. And he's very much like the, the, the willy of the jam crowd. Um, and I learned a lot from him and, and also just from hearing about him. Uh, yeah, it, 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 he was a Zambi. He invented the Church of Zambi, and mm-hmm. uh, and I I joined that with the group. Those those others have been in it already, but I joined it too. There's a song and a shake and all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so wow! Uh, that night when he passed away, we were all there. Oh no! Oh wow! Yeah. yeah. 
Can, do you feel comfortable speaking about that? Like what that was like? Oh, it was just went from, uh, it went from sort of a euphoric moment to like there was a fire or something. It was, it was, it was I, I have a feeling he might have loved it, but, but it was, uh, it was nothing like, I've never seen anything like that before. Because people went from full joy to full um, fear and horror and, and like that, you know? Yeah. But he went out the way he came in. He was a cosmic motherfucker. Dude, he did you ever do the birthday thing on you? Or he predicts your where oh, he yeah, yeah. And he also said one of the first interviews he ever did, he said he wanted to die on stage. That's so crazy. Yeah, for folks listening who aren't familiar with the story, Colonel Bruce, and um and I also encourage folks to go back and listen to my conversation with him because it was just so insightful and interesting and, and joyful. He was such a yeah. joyful person. Um and he, he made me think about things in a different way. And I always like those conversations when, when I can, I think sometimes we get so, you know, especially at this point in my life, I'm 40 and it's like, I got this, you know, pretty somewhat stable life and I've been figuring myself out for a while and I don't have it all figured out, but there are times when I can get kind of stuck in the same way of thinking. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a positive or negative thing. It's just that I've kind of got my mind made up about stuff and I, 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 I don't want to be that way. So I love when somebody like Colonel Bruce comes into your life and makes you switches your perspective on things, you know, yeah. but for folks listening, he, you know, he tragically passed away on his uh, birthday at a birthday celebration for him um, while he was playing during the encore, even if I'm not yeah. just amazing. He's saying without a warning, you broke my heart. And he died. That's just incredible. Wow. Um, he, was a, he was a magician. He really was. I loved him. That's I'm great. grateful to to uh, the widespread panic guys for turning me on to him. Yeah. The um, speaking of of uh, legends, um, the one of the questions that was asked, um, our uh, our other good friend of the show, Zach Schultz, said uh, that he um, he got to see, so I got to see. I got to see John Prime play a few times and the last time I saw him was just a few months before he passed and it was on my birthday and uh, Kelsey Walden was there. I interviewed Kelsey. I got to hear John sound checking like while I'm interviewing Kelsey and it's just these kind of magical moments, you know, and then, um, and then he, you know, he just put on the, one of the best shows I've ever seen and definitely the best I'd seen him and he was always great, but um Zach wanted to know he he was there uh, on the, that last tour John had where you were you were there with him, and he just wanted to know like your memories of the, that tour any 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 special like happy memories or positive memories that stand out to you from that time. I didn't I the, the I didn't hear that question because it, it jacked me up, but I can hear you now. Oh okay, sorry. Um, yeah. The the question question was about. Um, being on the, the the last tour that John did and and yeah. Zach just wants to know like he 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 got to see you guys play that on that tour and he wanted to know what kind of, if you had any like particularly warm or positive memories from that time or anything that that you could share from that yeah. from that moment yeah he told he told me I mean a very specific uh he was playing the Ryman and he asked me to come sing a song and when it got over he's he looked me right now and he said, I love you, Todd. And I, I had a feeling 
that, you know, he'd been really sick. I think he had just beat cancer for the second time. And so I think he felt like he, he was on short time, even before COVID. And, I, and I, he's not an I love you type of a guy. Um, and so that, sh that, sh yeah, that I, I felt like, oh, I hope he's okay. But also uh, towards the end, um, I, I started to hear from him more. I think I think the second time he beat cancer, he he thought, here it comes. You know? And I loved the way he ended those shows because uh, it's like when older people dance, like when older people dance, it's for such a spiritual reason. I think one of the reasons why those widespread and fish shows are so intense is because it's young people, but they're dancing like old souls. They're not dancing with each other. They're dancing in gratitude to the maker. And it feels like that. I don't know if I ever saw John dance like a young person. I only saw him dance that one time and it was just a celebration of gratitude. And it reminded me of the dead, you know, it's what the dead make people do. That's amazing. Yeah, he, I mean, he danced off stage when I saw him that last time. Um, that made me cry. I'd seen him so many times. <laughs> and uh, he'd never really danced. He was not, it was heavy to me. Oh, that's, thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, what, what is your relationship like with, uh, with grief and loss? Or, or is it something that you handle well? I don't think so. Uh, this year was this last few year and a half. I had uh, Jeff Austin and Neil Casal; those were my peers. And then Billy Joe and Jerry Jeff and John, and also my dog. So this year has been really hard, and I'm glad I, I'm not on the road because um, that's when I really make a bad decisions. And um, so I, I feel lucky that uh, I had I, I got to have a break while all that passing was taking place. And I feel sort of like I'm coming back a little. The dead of winter got really hard. And I like to think I'm starting to come back. I know they don't want me to, or I like to think they do. But yeah, this is the most, I'm having a lot of friends die of drugs, but this was the most in one year. A lot of my kids. My first manager too was a good friend of mine all the way to the end. And it was a tough year, a lot of loss. Yeah. I'm sorry, Todd. That's and then, it's a lot. Right. This was the year my dad died too. I think right through the core of the winter when it got really, really cold was about when I was 54 and a half. And that was how my dad was when he died. And thought, wow, what a strange year. Strange year. What about what's your relationship like with your own mortality? Are you are you comfortable with it or I think so. I'm surprised I'm still going. I didn't expect to go as long as my dad. So I feel like it's all gravy. I don't really have a philosophy or anything. I have a hopes, you know, I would love there to be some after thing that's even better than this thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and maybe there is, I hope there is. But I, you know, I don't know. I've had, I've had a few moments. One time I was in a really bad car wreck and I remember thinking, I'm all right with this. And then there's been other times where I thought I had COVID and I was panicking. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder if there's a difference in those two things. You know, I mean, those are two. Well, there is a difference. I think they're they're two very different potential ends, you know, and yeah. so I, I think the way you approach it, it's almost like 
I don't know. COVID has been so weird because it's like this preventable thing, but not entirely. And it's like, you can kind of mitigate your risk in a way that I feel like with a car wreck, you almost can't, you know, you're just kind of really, I don't know. I've, I've thought about that a lot. I mean, I, I think about my mortality constantly and I had a, uh, had a therapy session right before this and so it's like really on my mind you know and i get yeah, my, yeah. my my second vaccine dose tomorrow <laughs> oh and, good uh, yeah but it's also terrifying for me because i have a phobia of needles so right it's just like really on my mind and then i was just thinking about all the loss that you've you know that you've encountered over the last year and was just kind of curious about how you approach that you know like yeah. how how also kind of kind of having gone through all that can you speak to like how you stayed centered um clearly you made this this wonderful record that probably helped <laughs> um but anything else that like no, that you no, do to stay yeah. centered okay <laughs> yeah working i just threw myself into making up songs i couldn't think what else to do um and i don't think i'm totally past it yet but yeah trying to stay busy um, meditate I meditate and stuff like that um mm. yeah I, I, I think I'd like to get on the road now I don't think I would be a a, a threat to myself out there you know I think I, mm-hmm. I, I'm 54 and pretty you know a lot calmer than I used to be mm-hmm. um let, let's kind of move to some more lighthearted questions uh, just a couple sure. more for you and I, I'm so grateful for this time Todd this has been oh, such yeah, a pleasure Good, Thank good. Um, the you mentioned sports earlier. Um, do you are you still uh, do you still watch sports? Are you still a fan at all? Yeah, I I do. I like um, the Titans, of course. I like the Cubs. We they, they're playing right now. Um, and I grew up. It's funny. It's a, funny you ask me. I grew up around sports. And when I was nineteen or twenty, my first thing I hated was the scoreboard. I didn't want anywhere near anything that had a scoreboard. Hmm. And then I became a folk singer and that became more, um, you know, that's, that's not a, folk singers aren't materially driven. It's more about just getting someplace. The goal is to go someplace else. That's it. It's very Hmm. simple. And um, then I got to say when about a year and a half, about a a big group of, of, of my crew, uh, took their own lives. The first two friends of mine took their own lives. A couple other friends of mine took their own lives in the last year that I wasn't as close to, but they were road people. They were life of people like me. And it's always scary when we all think we're living this dream and then someone else kills themselves. You think, well, mm. is there something wrong? Am I missing something? Mm. So I think I remember during that time, part of helping me get over that was, was going back to this part of my life that was an athlete and that was like i'm not i'm not going to go down like that i'm not going to go down like that i'm not going to get it almost felt like an athletic uh thing to say you have to get through this without killing yourself and i was like well that's i'm going to draw back to we can still win district that was only the, the only real thing i could draw from was those coaches yelling at you to go for it and push it and all that and i was like well at least i have a little of that in me and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take myself out of the tour. You know, I can see the temptation sometimes because it gets really confusing on the road. But I lean into it. I like it. 
I try to make it more confusing. Can you say more about that? Like what, what's the confusing part? Why it's you really don't know where you are. You don't know what time it is. <laughs> uh, there's, there's free drugs everywhere. And I usually will get out of the bus in the middle of the day and go find, go in, I'll go find people. I'll find a crowd and then, then there's this Willie make it back to the show. Um, <laughs> I just look for, <laughs> and then sometimes it's hard. I'll have to call and go, man, I'm on the other side of town with these people I met at a movie. Well, they're all coming with me, you know, but <laughs> it's been fun. I, I just like it. I like the road. I like um, engaging strangers. I like them. Um, I like going around the little towns. It's always our, our gigs are always on the street with all the other cool shops, it seems like. So there's always like on something to street. And then with the hardworking Americans, man, it was like, well, just also people on the road, they don't sleep very much. I don't I don't get a whole lot of sleep on them. Uh, there's always something going on, fun to do. <laughs> man, when when touring starts again, gosh, I hope I just like run into you on the street <laughs> and we go see a yeah, movie. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I've made so many friends. And then I don't even tell them I'm a singer. You know, sometimes I'll say I'm going to be singing later. Like they bring up music. But one time I was in Alaska and I, I just knocked on this door because I heard John Prime coming out of it. And that was a life changing decision. <laughs> I met what? this guy named Jigger Day. Now I know everyone in Alaska. <laughs> I really do. There are not that many people up there. And I go up there all the time. Wait, so you, you heard John Pry, and you go up to the door, and you're just like, hey, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I opened the door. And the guy opened the door, and there's this guy, Digger Dave, and he had a big bunch of people around the fire. And as soon as I opened the door, somebody said, he must be the guy singing tomorrow. Because the town's just so locked down. They saw a new face and they were like, well, that could only mean one thing. The singer at the bar tomorrow must be him. Such as it was like 400 people in town and they all came to the show. Oh Except my... for they wouldn't let the Digger Dave guy in. I had to bring him with me. Why would they let him in? I guess he had done something in that bar before. The mayor came and wanted to tell me that I shouldn't hang out with Digger Dave. <laughs> and I was like, no, he's coming to the show. <laughs> and they said, well, you're paying for what he he breaks. <laughs> now he's gone. Now Digger's gone. We lost him. But he was a great friend. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, love it up there still. That's great. I've never been up there. That would be interesting. Oh, you get a chance. Yeah, Homer. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll make a point. Um, what are you, we, we always like to talk about what you're getting down on, uh, art that has you inspired right now, music you've been listening to, or a book you read, or film you saw recently sure i've been reading a ton of out this guy named alan watts i also just got all the mark twain books and so i'm reading the ones that i don't know and music i've been listening to the ohio players all week i thought they were cool i've been going through a funk period i think um but also like i still i listen to ram and jack elliott a lot and i listen to booker t and the mgs a lot when i'm sitting outside or gardening i have a little garden i probably <laughs> oh that's nice yeah uh i that's one of my projects for this summer and i i kind of feel intimidated by it i don't really know where to start yeah it took me a minute this girl named elizabeth cook she's a great singer she taught me yeah. to do it 
Yeah, I love Elizabeth. Uh, she's Florida girl. She's from 30 yeah. minutes from oh, where I grew up. Yeah. Um, never had never had a chance to meet her, but um, I should. Oh, call get her on the show. She's fun. Yeah, that inspires me to reach out to her. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'll, I might do that as soon as I get off this call. She's got great stories. Her story is amazing. Yeah, really is, man. And there's another one who like, yeah, well, she's she's in a lot too, and she was like a. She's like a honor student in college, and then she did something like in the financial world for a while. I don't know, just so fascinating. Smart woman, man, and she yeah. can fucking kill and clean a deer too. <laughs> right after her dad died, I was on a plane, and some guy sat next to me and said, "I'm Elizabeth Cook's dad." Oh, spook me! Weird. It looked like him too. I had never met him before, and I didn't know he'd been dead for about a week. And I was like, Elizabeth, I met your dad on a plane. She said, no, you couldn't have. And she showed me a picture and I was like, well, that, that was the guy. No way. Not the guy, yeah. Isn't that weird? That is so wild. Yeah. <laughs> and he knew, wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. He just came up next to us. I didn't have a seat. I had an open seat next to me and he sat down and asked me if I knew Elizabeth Cook. And I was like, of course I do. And he said, I'm her dad. And then she showed me video of her dad. And I'm like, that looks like a guy on the plane. And she said, my dad had been dead a couple of weeks by then. How did she take that? Crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think we both aren't very ghosty. So we probably, I mean, there's a good chance it was some guy that just wanted to tell me. <laughs> the guy that just wanted to, you know, probably more logical than a ghost story, but it's pretty a weird coincidence. It's a weird coincidence, man. I'm more inclined to go ghosty on this one. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good, man, because we're family, me and her. And, and he, yeah, we look out for each other a lot. We both live in the same side of town. Yeah. Both get on the room and mill sometimes. And <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh my gosh, that is a crazy story, Todd. You, you caught me off guard with that one. I, like, that's got that. I mean, because what an elaborate ruse if it's just some random dude who a knows who uh -huh. you are, b yeah. looks like Elizabeth's dad, c knows a shit about Elizabeth, right? Knows that pretty you pretty odd. Tell me, you got now you got me believing. Yeah, man. I like the chances of that. I mean, and he was a funny. He was a funny guy. I've seen a lot of video of him since. Wow, that's wild, man. Well, I don't, I don't know that we can top that. <laughs> that was great. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you, man. It's been fun. Thank you, Todd. This was again, like I said, one of the great pleasures, uh, you know, of my creative life. Just getting to talk to you. I, I love this record. Um, I, you know, I'm Thank really you. excited. I'm gonna, I'm gonna order, order myself a, a copy of the vinyl and uh, encourage folks to. I'm gonna spread the word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a first right agnostic on. church you. of hope and wonder evangelist. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And we, when we get down there, make sure you come say hi. I will absolutely, and I can't wait for that. Man, it sounds great. Oh, yeah. All yeah, right, man. thank you. All right, thank you. We'll see Take you, care. I just see you when I see you sail on, sail, my friend, sail on into a new horizon. If you can't play that same old song again, I see.
Todd Snyder, y'all. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank all of you for listening. This was too much fun. ToddSnyder.net for all things Todd. Hopefully, we all get to see Todd wandering around our town very soon, so stay tuned to his website for those updates. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe on your podcast app. Leave us a five-star rating. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways you can support this work. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for as little as $2 a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content. Y'all, we have a blast over there. We talk about art and interact on a deeper level with the show. Um... We're doing this really cool thing in a few weeks. Our our friend Seth Walker, who's been on the show twice and is just such a delight every time, is making his third appearance to talk about his wonderful book, Your Van is on Fire. And our Patreon patrons are going to have a chance to ask him questions as a part of the show. Um, It's just so much fun. And so if you can financially swing it, we greatly appreciate it. Um, We have our Patreon-exclusive show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life. Uh, speaking of which, I want to give a huge shout out to our newest patron, my great friend Josh, who I've known for over 20 years and has been a huge supporter of my art. He is someone who encouraged me from an early, you know, at the early stages of my writing, really encouraged me to to go for it and uh, and to continue to write and to expand and to get the word out. He also was one of the first people who I bounced ideas about the marinade uh, off of. And he has been one of the, the the biggest supporters of this show in terms of like encouraging me and, and telling me that I had a good idea and that I could execute this idea and instilling confidence in me. And now he's a part of our Patreon community. Josh, I love you, brother. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, y'all, if you can't swing it or if you're not in a position to contribute, I totally get it. All those freeways help help us so much. They make a huge difference. And I'm grateful that you're listening. If you're new, if you came because you saw Todd's name, welcome. Check out everything else that we've done. We've had so many cool guests and we have so many more coming up. I've been busy, y'all. I recorded three episodes last week and then uh, we've got two more this coming week and two more after that. It's just, we're just super busy. And I feel like the conversations are just clipping along. I mean, everything's been so insightful and fun. And I just had the just a hilarious conversation with um, with Walzer, with Sophie Sputnik from Walzer. We just laughed half the time. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear these conversations. How about Todd Snyder, y'all? Go out and get the record when it comes out. I'm telling you, it's my favorite thing he's done. And I've been a Todd Snyder fan for 20 years. Like He... He knocked it out of the park this time. Um, he always does, but this is special. This is a, an instant classic in my mind. It's my favorite record I've heard in a long, long time. And and that's a statement too, because I feel like right now we're in such a, especially with folk and Americana, we're in kind of a golden age. Todd alluded to it earlier. This record is my, definitely my favorite record of the year so far. So check it out when it comes out. The singles are out. You heard a little bit of it earlier in the show. Um, Everybody, thank you again. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.